Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your van-dwelling host, Stephen Dimmitt. I am very excited about today's episode, a conversation with a personal hero of mine, Steve McClure from the UK. Steve is best known for his sport climbing accomplishments. He has been putting up first ascents at the cutting edge of sport climbing for multiple decades. And at age 50, Steve is still one of the best climbers in the world. Just four years ago, in 2017, he climbed his crowning achievement to date, a route called Rain Man at Malham Cove, which is still the hardest route in the UK, with a grade of 9B, or 515B. And he climbed that at age 46. So I was really interested to dig into how Steve has managed to have such amazing longevity in his climbing and how he has managed to keep improving year after year. Steve is also a great storyteller. He shared some stories from his early days of hitching across the country to go climbing before he could drive, some of his early projects, and the indoor climbing wall he built on the side of his garage before climbing walls were a thing. We talked about discovering sport climbing in his mid-20s, and we talked about how tenacity and motivation play into Steve's climbing. And we talked about the three parts of climbing ability and how we can continue to improve our climbing over the years without necessarily getting any stronger. And we talked about foot on campusing, which is one of just a few training exercises that Steve has used consistently throughout his career and which he credits for his ability to climb through sustained pumpy sections of hard sport climbs. So a lot of good stuff in this interview. It was a fun mix of stories from the past and nuggets from a top level performer. If you enjoy this conversation, I highly recommend checking out Steve's autobiography. It is called Beyond Limits. It is available in paper copy and on Kindle. I happen to own both, and it's one of my favorites. If you are interested in climbing history or just good storytelling, I think you'll get a kick out of it. You'll hear some of the stories from that book in this interview, but there are many more than we could possibly cover and it's well worth a read. So I will link to that book in the show notes, and I will also link to some videos of Steve's hardest climbs, including Rain Man. For those of you who are curious, I recommend watching that. And you can find links to those along with links to Steve's website and his Instagram at thenuggetclimbing.com. If you are enjoying the show and would like to help out, you can find ways to do that at the website as well. There is also a link to Patreon right there in your podcast app. $5 a month will get you access to bonus conversations that I have with my guests and will get you access to upcoming guests so you can submit your questions and hear them asked on the show. There were some really good listener questions in this one. You'll hear those sprinkled in in the second half of the interview. And again, if you want to hear your questions featured in future episodes, you can do that by signing up to become a patron at the link right there in your podcast app or at thenuggetclimbing.com. All right, enough waffling, as they say over in the UK. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Steve McClure. 
Yeah, we've got, uh, I reckon we've got about two hours. Okay. Um, um, yeah, any more than two hours would be pushing into cooking time for, <laughs> for the kids. But yeah, we've got we've got whatever you need, which it's amazing how it flies because sometimes you think, oh, man, like that's going to be like, a that's ages. And then you start waffling. And before you know it, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, that's like an hour and a half gone straight away. And some of your questions can be, quite thought-provoking and they can definitely go into quite a bit of detail sure. as, as many of your guests have as as you know yeah now you've got some good questions oh, cool. some, good, some good sort of um ways of getting the best out of the um the, the the guys that you've been talking to i've listened to quite a few guys actually oh right on yeah i read a i read an instagram post from you recently that you recently discovered podcasts and have yeah. consumed a lot of them on your bike rides yeah, I think what you were saying, you, you said something on one of the ones that you did about how it, it's really interesting how you can barely be bothered to read like more than three lines from an Instagram post, but somehow there's this desire to sit down and listen to somebody chatting for hours. Mm. Um, I think we've we've lost that. I think maybe people have got the desire for that because we don't do much of it anymore. We don't sit in the pub anymore, really. Mm. You know, everyone's like living their fast lives, and everyone's just tuned into their phones. And you, you, know, you look, you're waiting for a train or something. You look down the platform, and there's like hundred people, and no one is speaking to anybody, and everyone's on their phone. It's just like, man, like, what is this? Like, no one talks to anybody anymore. It's crazy. So this this is the new conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been it it's is. been good during covid particularly mm. because obviously we've not seen so many people so this is you know you, you feel like you've had a chat with somebody down the bar down the bar or something so it's great yeah yeah it, it does feel like a like a deeper human need doesn't it yeah it I, does I think for me so. at least yeah yeah no it definitely does so yeah man just uh fire away whenever you want to start or if you want perfect to, like, yeah i'm i'm good to go i've been recording um, and that's a great lead-in, actually. I was going to start somewhere else, but uh, but now I think I have to just roll with that. I would love to ask you about hitching. Oh, and what? <laughs> I'd love to have you just take this, uh, you know, any way you want, if you just want to recall a favorite story or, or a funny story that comes to mind. But uh, you published an autobiography some years ago called Beyond Limits, and I read it years ago. Um didn't have a chance to reread the whole thing before this conversation, but did flip through it and kind of remind myself of some of the, some of the favorite stories from there. But yeah, I, I think what I appreciated about it so much, aside from just stories about your own climbing and your path through climbing, it's just this amazing glimpse into this other time and this other world. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about it. I've never hitchhiked a day in my life. <laughs> wow. Wow. You've missed out, man. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And that part of the book more than anything, I think you shared like a two page long, uh, what I assume is just, uh, a record straight out of your diary from, from those days. And it's just fascinating to read that. And which one was that one? Was that was the one that got picked up by some total wasters? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, and then I think you ended up sleeping under a bridge in the rain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you want me to recall that story? Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, I'd love to but, hear it. So, I mean, one of the things that is probably first worth mentioning is that I feel like really quite privileged and quite lucky to have spanned such a 
a, a variation in the the sort of um, the way that rock climbing has been and, and has become because it's very different now compared to what it was back when I was getting into it. It's, it's just, I can't even describe how different it is. And the way that people lived, you know, people were like sleeping in caves for weeks and, you know, people had no money and living in the dirt and it was just all about the climbing. There was, there was no training, you know, it was just all about just getting to the crag and doing as much climbing. And then obviously it's got more performance orientated and people wear nice clothes now and nobody hitches and, you know, everyone's got nice vans and we're all on Instagram all the time, you know, like, wow, like what a difference. I mean, I can remember one day hitching to North Wales to meet a friend of mine and we'd organised it by by post. You know, that's the only way we could get in touch with each other. So we sent letters to each other and for some reason we, or rather he, had got the dates mixed up and uh, I turned up a week before him. <laughs> I spent a whole week in North Wales and he didn't turn up. He turned up the day I left. So it's crazy and there was no way we could contact each other. I mean, I could have sent him a letter but it would have taken four days to get there <laughs> that, that was the way it went you know it was it, now like 10 minutes after you arrive you'd be like on your phone where are you you know i'm here you know what's going down and then <laughs> the thought of hitching but no hitching was it was like the way to get around because i think the public were very open to it back then so it was it was not hard to get a lift mm. i mean you, you would be in like a, a motorway service station and there might be 20 people all sort of queued up waiting and it'd be just like a conveyor belt you know you get picked up and off you go and the next person get picked up and uh, it was I used to love the whole like strategy I'd have all my my routes planned out and uh, I suppose I really like the the freedom of it as well to a certain extent it's not like now you know where I might have a two two days organized to go somewhere and, that, and that's my that's my two days but back then it'd be you know multiple weeks and there was no real rush to get where you were going. You just got on the road. Sometimes you got there in a day. Sometimes it took you three days. Sometimes you went to somewhere you weren't going to head in the first place. You know, the the stuff that would happen was great. But yeah, I mean, I can remember one, that one trip. I can't remember how long I've been waiting. I've been waiting for ages, I think, and got picked up by some total geezer. And uh, he, he was like, right, okay, I've, I've got to stop off at some some dodgy, dodgy house on the way home to get some dodgy deals. So I went with him to this house. I think he was trying to sell uh, a bag of weed or something. He was, uh, well, no, he wasn't trying to sell me it. He was trying to go and collect himself a big heap of it. Um, so we went back to this guy's house. And it, it was interesting because the guy was a, a total family man. You know, he was, he was a real, had his kids there and he, he was like really respectable. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is interesting. It's not what I expected. And um, so we went around, stayed around there and he was like, oh, well, I, could, I, sh I suppose I should have a quick puff before I set off them. And he got absolutely wasted, completely wasted off his face <laughs> and set off. And he was like, right, okay, well, I'll just drop you here then, mate. So I was like, all right, okay, this is not a good spot at all. It was like one of those like impossible junctions, which is thinking, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get a lift here. And I waited for ages and eventually somebody stopped. I was like, oh, thank God for that. So I got in his car and we set off again. And after about five minutes, he started telling me all these really dodgy ideas he had in his head, really sort of like, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, getting with you tonight and all this kind of thing. Oh, but, wow. but worse. Like wow. really, I mean, he didn't he didn't try anything on, but he was telling me all about these stories. I mean, you got to read the book to get the full the full lowdown. But it it was kind of freaking me out. 
And I was like, right, okay, well, maybe <laughs> I should get out. Like, the next junction is the one for me. Yep, I'll jump out the next junction. So he stopped and let me out. And it was just like the worst. Like, this is even worse than the last junction. And I knew I wasn't going to get a lift. It was like, I'm not going to get a lift here. So I walked for about, I was like 15 miles with a massive rucksack on, ropes, tents, sleeping bags, stove, and eventually just crashed out onto this bridge in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> It was it was pretty epic to be honest, but uh, to be fair, it was just it was just normal. You know that huh. was the sort of thing which we we just did all the time. You just take it on board and off you go. It was all all part of an adventure. It was great. <laughs> it was I, I tell you, I must have talked to thousands of people, thousands wow. and thousands of people, and everyone's got a story to tell. Everyone's different, and I guess it it makes you pretty good at being able to just chat to different people mm. you know it's, it's great you, you don't talk to thousands of people anymore like that. It's brilliant yeah fascinating how old were you at the time um i think the first time i sort of he headed off hitching i was probably like 15 um I, yeah I, I can't remember whether i just like announced it to my parents like i'm just off hitching up to the other part of the country or whether i you know i, I can't remember how they took it <laughs> But like now, if my daughter said, right, I'm just going to go hitch off to, you know, North Wales, I'd be like, what? I don't think you are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe 15. I think I kind of sacked it off when I was probably about 23. I think I, I passed my driving test and got a car then. Okay. And, and that and that was like a whole, a whole new world that, that was like, right, okay, life is now considerably easier <laughs> and better. <laughs> Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the northeast of England, which it's about 120 miles north of Sheffield. Yeah, okay climbing, nothing spectacular. Uh, the rock is a bit like font, which is good, uh, but there's not much of it. Um, ha hardly anything by any kind of um destination standards. Like, you know, if you went there for a day, you'd probably think, oh, this is really quite pleasant but you wouldn't think, wow, this is great. Mm. Um, it was enough to, for me to get by with. I knew that when I left, in, when I was 19, it was, in terms of climbing, I was definitely due to leave, definitely. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so you're, you're talking about how different the, the climbing was at that time, you know, so different that it's hard to even describe. So you and I connected through Mike Campbell, uh, Mike is someone who you grew up with, and I just met Mike briefly in Waco uh, about a month or two ago. Cool. And I emailed with him a little bit to get some, you know, I, I was curious to hear if he had any stories. And, and one thing that he mentioned that I'm really curious about, you know, he said that your parents both climbed, that they were both really good climbers by, at least by 80s trad standards at the time. And I want to ask you about your dad's training facility in his garage. And I guess this would have been back in the late 80s or early 90s. Can you describe what your dad had built in your garage? So so my dad's training facility is actually nothing to do with my dad. Okay, <laughs> it totally, okay. It was, it was mine. No, like, like there's no way that my mum or dad would have had any interest in training at all. Like not even the slightest bit of interest. It, it was not part of the deal back then. You know, for those guys, it was 100% about just going out and you climbed to whatever 
level you were comfortable with, with maybe, you know, giving yourself a little bit of a, a push every now and again, but you didn't go home and train for it. Like, that was just not part of the deal. You know, you, you're just not, not interested in that. I don't think training was hardly invented. Um, <laughs> but I, I, with the help of my dad, we just put some holes onto the side of the garage wall, which was like a natural, no, it was a red brick wall. So some of the mortar in between the bricks we chipped out to make like really small little crimpy holes. And uh, one of our friends had some of this like epoxy resin stuff so we could just glue on little sea pebbles and bits of slate and all that kind of stuff. And I made this little wall. It was, you know, it wasn't very big. It was maybe, it was probably two metres high by maybe the length of a car long. So what's that, like four and a half metres, five metres maybe? Nothing, not much more than that. And I would spend hours on there, hours and hours. But something which I've thought about quite a bit in the past really is, is it wasn't training. I was not doing that for training at all. I had no designs on getting better. It was it was my little um, place to climb. When I couldn't climb outside, hmm. I'd go and climb on that. And I'd just spend hours just making little problems, traversing round and round, you know, just really motivated to just go on this wall but i can remember clearly that it wasn't to get better it was just to climb it was great just the only thing you had yeah yeah i mean we we still went we went out to the the local hills to climb but i just wanted more i guess i just wanted more stuff i, I really enjoyed the 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 process of figuring things out i can remember when i was out in the hills i'd maybe find a little boulder problem and spend ages trying to figure it out, you know, side pull here, does that work? No, what about that foothold? All by myself, you know, just really absorbed by it. So this garage wall was just an extension of that, really. You know, there was there was so much time. I had a little topo. Um, I think I've still got that topo. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'd love to try the problems. I bet they're all really bunched, though. <laughs> I was so only like 12, <laughs> So this is just a dead vertical brick wall with chipped out little seams in between the bricks and then glued on pebbles and and little yeah. rocks and things. Yeah, good for fingers for sure. Ama yeah, yeah, amazing. I mean, you're known for your your finger strength and your crimp strength and your ability to hold on to tiny holds now, so probably did something. That's where it all started. That's where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Well, you have a really interesting uh, trajectory through climbing because you started so young. I think you mentioned either in your book or in an interview that I that I read with you that you started like at age one or two. I mean, pretty much as early as you can remember, you climbed at least a little bit with your parents. But it sounds like you didn't really, I guess, discover hard climbing or, or a desire to improve and push yourself until maybe your mid-20s. Yeah, I mean, is that, that, right? that is totally right. I, I suppose it is it's certainly very different to what people, um, how they enter the sport these days. Yeah. But yeah, I, I certainly have got pictures of me climbing when I'm like not even able to walk. So I'm crawling up little rocks with my mum and dad behind. Um, I can remember climbing like specific routes at age 12 and 13. Um, before that, I'm sure I was climbing a lot, but, you know, those routes stick in my mind. I can remember falling off routes when I was 12 or 13. But like you say, it was only when I was about 24 that I suddenly entered the the sport world. And that, actually that coincided with getting my first car, hmm. just having access to that 
that scene really because before that it was always quite difficult the the closest sport climbing is about 20 miles from where i lived in sheffield so hitching out to that was tough going really and also the crowd of people i was hanging out with there was nobody really interested in that sort of climbing we were all going out and doing like five tens um maybe a 511 at, at best but you know pretty easy stuff and i was quite content with that to be honest but i'd been climbing for a long time and i think i had some some level of natural ability as soon as i started sport climbing my grade just went totally through the roof mm. and it just yeah it just went from there really it's crazy mm. it seems like yeah you you had laid the bricks and maybe just needed the right um the right set of circumstances or the right um yeah facet of climbing i don't know it seems like all the pieces were there and then sport climbing really brought everything together for you and, and propelled you the the pieces were definitely there it, that, that's interesting because I, I i never would have spotted it but it was really ov- really obvious looking back now that i was up for doing that i remember going to the verdon when i was about i don't know i was either 16 or 17 like 90 86 or something and um doing a route look called Le Cue de Coco, which is 7C plus, but it's hard. It's hard. It's definitely hard, for, particularly for the short. It's, I'm sure it's 8A. Mm. And, um, so 13A or 13B for us Americans listening. Yeah, yeah, something, something along those lines. And uh, back in those days, that, that was a pretty respectable level. You know, people were, you know, the top guys were red pointing 8As, maybe a little bit harder, but, but not much harder. And... Um, I just I, so I did that route, and just didn't really think anything of it. I, I didn't really appreciate the style because I I hadn't read points anything before, so it just felt like a bit like kind of cheating. Really, I didn't on site it. Um, I tried to top rope it and fell off, and then I top roped it and didn't fall off, and then led it, and it was all like, oh well, yeah, that was a surprise. That's a bit strange, and just sort of chalked it down to a a strange occurrence really. But had I really looked at it a bit more closely and tried some other hard stuff. And, and if I'd met the other guys cranking out 8As and 8A pluses, and I, I might have thought, oh, right, okay, well, I'm actually climbing quite a decent level here. But I just sort of brushed it off and went back to my sort of easy trad, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Uh, one One topic I really want to dig into here with you is your tenacity. And tenacity and, and motivation and kind of the interplay between those two ideas. I mean, you've said already in this conversation, I've heard you say it a number of times before, that you really you really never focused on training and, uh, you know, you really credit other things for getting you as, as high as you've gotten. I mean, for people listening, you put up the hardest route in the UK. You just put up a, a 15B a few years ago. And, um, you know, looking at your trajectory through climbing, you were really pushing cutting edge sport climbing in the UK, I think from like 1998 onwards. So for, for a couple of decades now. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> but I, I'd love to hear about tenacity and maybe where that comes from or, or what your relationship with um, really focusing in on trying to to climb something, where that came from. Because it's interesting to hear you say, you know, you didn't really uh, connect with trying to progress and trying to climb hard until your mid twenties. But reading through your book again, I wonder if you could tell me the story of your first E3. Oh, right. First E3. This is, uh, I think Sheer Khan is the name. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? 
It was, yeah. That's actually fallen down now, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, the whole boulder fell over, or the whole rock. Uh, fell yeah, over? the whole the whole thing came down. It's not very. It wasn't very high, really. It was that the size of a, a sort of house, really. But it was it was a it was on a cliff which didn't have very many hard routes. E three is a you know what's that a five eleven like something like that you know low low five eleven. It was a solo though. There was no gear. Um, <laughs> okay. It, was, it would have been. It would have. It's a bit of a sort of slightly. It wouldn't be a high ball. Well, I suppose it would be a high ball, but it was a bit nasty because it was a bad landing, mm. and you couldn't really pad it either. Even by today's standard, it would have been a bit weird. So it was a sort of dodgy solo, and the hardest few moves were right at the bottom on old, old aid bolt holes. So the aid bolts had gone. And just left sort of um, maybe like inch deep monos. And so you had to reach up and get the first mono, basically pull on that with really bad feet and reach up like two foot to the second mono, pull up on that with bad feet. And then you got a small edge and then maybe a few small edges and then you wandered up to the top really above a bad landing. And I I, I, I used to watch the the local sort of hot shots do that and solo it and think oh man that is just that is the best looking route i so want to do it i really wanted to do it but i couldn't reach the first mono i was only like 10 when i first tried it i couldn't reach it my dad used to lift me up and i'd top rope it i could once i got the first mono i could do it um and then gradually over the years i got taller and every time i got the crag i'd sort of try it again and couldn't reach and then one day i got to the crag and and i could reach it and it was like oh right well I can reach now, so maybe I should just try and do it. And uh, and I did it. And it was, I mean, it took me days, days and days. I don't know how many days. I, I, I wouldn't even like to guess, but, you know, maybe 20 days in total to do this. But I was so drawn to this this challenge. And, and that, I suppose, has been the way that uh, my climbing has gone on from then. Once I find something that I really motivated by really inspired by i can sort of dig into it and and really go for it but it wasn't so much the the grade it was just a challenge mm. you know that that was that was it it was it was just a challenge i don't i don't know whether it was because the the top guys were doing it and i wanted to be in that gang i don't think that was it i think it was just it was a piece of rock which i couldn't quite do and uh, and i felt as though i should be able to do it and then i could do it and it was it was yeah, it was a great process mm. Okay, so tenacity. <laughs> if you want to talk about that, I mean, where does that come from? Yeah, Do you think it's gene- yeah. is it genetic? Do you think? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is probably a, a pretty massive uh, rabbit hole of nature versus nurture here. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I do think that it's it's not really something that you can force. You know, the the drive to do something's either there or it's not. I've I've definitely tried to force things in the past that I didn't have pure motivation for and didn't deeply want to do, and it doesn't work. You know, you can't make it happen if that drive isn't there. I don't know where the drive comes from, though. It's so interesting. I I feel like, well, I don't know. Like you say, I don't know whether it's genetic, whether it's nature or nurture, but there's one thing for sure. You mentioned before like what do i see in a lot of like top level climbers what sort of traits do they have yeah i asked you this in an email before this conversation yeah. you know if you've noticed any patterns among top performers you see yeah yeah and and this is something which you, you'll have heard yourself as well i think one of the things that stands out is that that ability to try hard 
comes across, you know, it's obviously something which is really valuable. The ability to dig in and, and just drag out as much of you of yourself as you can. Uh, sort of rising almost above your physical ability. And the flip side of that is if you're if you haven't got that motivation, you know, you you're performing under power really. You know, you're not giving it everything. And the difference between you know, somebody, two two different people with the same level of strength and one that doesn't try to their max and one that tries almost beyond their max could be multiple grades, hmm. you know. And, you, you know, you watch some guys who crank it out and go for it and really try hard and, it, you know, it's pretty special. Hmm. And you, you you know that that is getting them up, you know, it's, it's, it's getting them up. And that's got a crossover into other areas as well. Like if you don't try really very hard when you're training you won't make the gains. But if you can sort of knuckle down and, and give every session your best shot, then you, you, you're getting more gains than somebody who isn't trying so hard. But yeah, where it comes from, I don't know. I've, I've just, I guess, that, to be honest, it's one of my strongest points. I can really, I can really go for it. I can, you know, give it absolutely everything and more, which is, mm. it can be hard on the body because <laughs> <laughs> you tend to break. <laughs> yeah. I'm fascinated by this. So I've seen that in you and in your climbing, and I've heard so many people that have climbed with you mention that uh, either directly or, um, you know, through interviews or, or what else. But you also seem to be, there's almost a contradiction. You seem to be really good at listening to your motivation and and being willing to just kind of go with that flow. And I'd really love to, to dig into how you think about the balance of those two things. And I, I want to read actually a um, a paragraph from your book. All right. And I think the chapter title for this chapter was It's All Down to Motivation, okay. which is a, a quote from Ben Moon. It was. And this is such an interesting paragraph. I, re I really want to hear how you think about this and how it relates to this tenacity. So you wrote, right. motivation is a flexible, bendy little number that's hard to control even on a daily basis. It's up and down and flips directions, following different paths that you never see coming. The key is to go with it and explore it. You can't push your motivation. If it really doesn't fancy playing, then you might as well relax. If you haven't seen it for a while, it may be somewhere else waiting for you in a completely different life zone. If you are bored with sport climbing, try trad. If you are bored with trad, try sport. If you are bored with climbing, try cycling. If everything bores you, have kids or go live in a war zone. And then in parentheses, you wrote fairly similar. <laughs> so oh, I, right, I love that, but I'm fascinated by the seeming uh, juxtaposition of those two ideas. You know, having this tenacity and this drive to finish things versus having the self-awareness to flow with that motivation as it ebbs and flows. You know, I'm thinking about you with uh, with Rain Man, for instance, um, and, and maybe you can fill in your own example if there's a better one. But yeah, how do you think about balancing those two things with your climbing? Oh, I mean, that's quite a it's a big question. I think that's probably I think it's a, it's a very individual thing how you you draw motivation from things. You know, I suppose you you, you might have to ask yourself like why you're actually what you're doing it for, which is a deep question in climbing. You know, are you doing it because um, you want to be climbing your personal best? Are you doing it because you just love the route? Um, 
Are you doing it because you want to be a rock star? You know, what's what's the reason behind trying that hard? I think you have to answer that question very honestly before you even begin. Because if you don't even know why you're doing it, then you, you've got no chance. I mean, what's that famous quote? Have you only ever... If you only climb to get to the top, you should question why you climb at all. Mm. Something like that. I think it's um, John Redhead, which I think is really a really good quote to, to think by. Um, and, I mean, using Rain Man as an example, that was that's a really interesting route. It's, it's kind of a standalone climbing experience for me, that one. It, it doesn't fit into the mould of anything else because that's probably the only route where I genuinely kind of admitted to myself that I might not ever get up it. And mm. I was quite comfortable with that concept as well. Um, I still thought I had a chance of doing it, but there was also a chance that I wouldn't do it, and that was okay. And mm. it's quite interesting to go through that. So I was drawing really different motivations every time I went to the crag until it started to look like it was going to happen. But before that, I'd be like, right, okay, I, I'm really motivated to try this link. You know, this link is just going to be brilliant if I can do that link. And that was really quite freeing because that obviously meant nothing to anybody. It, you know, no one cares. You know, this guy does a link on his project. <laughs> so what? Right. Like, so I wasn't doing it to be like a recognized climber. I wasn't doing it to get to the top. I was I was just doing it because I was motivated by a challenge. And I think ultimately to answer your your question, although I've kind of half forgotten what it was now, but I, I mean I get drawn into whatever challenges me and if if I if I feel like I can rise to it, that's quite exciting to a certain extent, whether it be like a long bike ride or a tiny boulder problem, uh, whatever it may be. And if it if it doesn't feel like it's enough of a challenge or it's not interesting enough of a challenge or it's too hard of a challenge, then I struggle to to get sort of sucked into it and I find myself doing something else. Hmm. Tricky. <laughs> it is, it is. I, uh, yeah, I want to ask a, a self-serving question, but before that, can you describe what Rain Man is for people that aren't familiar with it? Um, so if, uh, okay, so an in-depth analysis <laughs> Maybe so, just some context, a, a brief overview. So it's um, it's a it's a really amazing route. Like it's it's like the best route I've ever climbed, and that's oh. not just saying because it's the hardest. It's it's a fluke find for me, really, and it, hmm. it's got quite a lot of sort of um, special special meaning in that the first time I ever visited the crag, I wanted to climb a route called Rain Dogs. Which this is at Raven Tour. This is at Malum Cove. Oh, okay, right. I knew that. Um, yeah, and it's it's a it's a really lovely cliff as well. Really beautiful. It's good on a world scale. People that visit from around the world are impressed by it. And Rain Dogs climbs through the middle of this cove, um, but it only went to a relatively low height before it got really hard. And I can remember wanting to do that route, Grid Eight A, classic, and looking up above it thinking oh my god like when will that go would that ever be possible that'd be just so incredible and then a bunch of years later i did that route to to give um rain shadow which is a 9a but it it very slightly goes leftwards it does follow the obvious line 
but it kind of avoids the major difficulties. It sort of moves leftwards. Nobody would ever say, oh, that doesn't, that's a limit or anything, because it just is a beautiful line. But it's still left this blast through right up to, you know, an, an obvious big ledge high up. And that was what I was drawn towards. Bolted it, cleaned it, and it became like the ultimate challenge. Mm. Uh, and if you were to sort of break it down, you climb this 8A at the bottom uh, where the anchor is, but you don't clip the anchor. Oh, no, sorry, you do clip the anchor, but um, you then get a poor rest, and then you blast through a, a hard bulge, which is about font 8A. Mm. The V11. Yeah, that's right. And then you just you wander straight up the wall above it, which is probably about 8C plus. So what's that, 14C? Um, straight after that, and then a, a vague rest, and then uh, another um, 13B above that as well. So it's it's got quite a bit of hard climbing, but it's just wonderful. It suits me really well. There's no long moves on it. Lots of really technical moves, lots of little crimps, knee drops, all just the whole package. It just hangs together really, really well with wonderful moves that are really high up. Hmm. Um, nothing super hard, no like sort of block boulders, but lots of pretty hard moves that go on and on and on. Hmm. It's mega. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it looks incredible. And, and there's a great video of you climbing it that I'll share in the show notes for people. Yeah, nice. I, I want to I focus on this router, ask some more questions about it. But before that, I'll get to my self-serving self question that kind of comes back to this tenacity versus going with the flow of motivation question. And uh, I guess I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I'm starting to really understand what I ultimately hope to achieve in my own climbing. You know, I think my mm. my goals, my longer goals are becoming more clear to me and I've talked about them a little bit on the podcast. But I'm finding that it, it's kind of, it, I don't know, it's it's a little bit counterproductive maybe to have those long goals that are years away in the front of my mind all the time. You know, there's days where, <clears throat> or even periods of my climbing, like right now I'm in St. George, Utah, and I'm feeling really drawn to these steeper, thuggier cave climbs that that are different from what I've done before. I just came from Waco, so they feel I feel strong in that style right now. It's really fun. And <clears throat> I don't know whether or not they're the best thing I could be doing to serve these longer-term goals. And so I've been thinking a lot about the balance of those two things, you know, like, kind of punching the clock over the next few years and doing all the things that are going to give me the greatest chance to level up towards these these goals that I have. Uh, a specific route back at uh, Smith Rock, for instance, you know, that requires a lot of finger strength. It's really technical versus just doing what is really fun and what feels motivating to me right now, you know, in this in this chapter of my own climbing. Can you relate to that at all? Does that apply to, to Rain Man, you know, um, having years of going to this cliff and seeing this really hard thing did you have that as kind of like a, a north star guiding your climbing for all those years or did you just listen to what felt motivating on any given day how do you think about that um so uh just is it is it um just do it That's your it's just do it yeah it. yeah yeah okay. yeah so i i feel like i've been in a bit of a sort of maybe a slightly unusual position, which very much suited my personality and my my desires 
from climbing in that I, I didn't really have any sort of higher target to aim for. So I've just, I've just literally just climbed um, and done whatever I wanted. And there's, there's been a few projects that have sort of become multi-season that I've thought, oh, right, okay, I need to sort of like raise my game from that. But most of the time I've just gone and climbed whatever I wanted to climb. And occasionally something might grab me and that might take a couple of days um, or maybe you know a little bit longer, five or six days. But there's not really been very much which has made me think, right, you know, long, long term, I need to up my game, I need to train like this and do that and focus and schedule and all that kind of stuff. I've not really done any of that at all. So yeah. with Rain Man, I would try it for a season, which might last maybe six weeks, and then I'd go off and be doing like big walls or deep water soloing or trad climbing or sport climbing in France or whatever, and then I'd come back to it. And it was only really towards the end that I thought, right, okay, actually, I, I do really want to do this. It'd be great to do it. So maybe I need to just sort of up my game a little bit. But I don't even think... I did anything about it. I think it just sort of like happened. Um, I think the, the only time I actually did anything specifically was when I was trying Overshadow, which was a, it's a 9A plus, so was that 15A? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that when I was about 35, I think. And I tried that, I tried that over four seasons. First season I only had a few days. Second season I got stuck into it and I thought this is you know this is great this this is like the next level it would be good to get up to this kind of level when I say next level that's next level for me and uh, I actually built a sort of not a replica but some sort of similar moves at my local climbing wall which I, I trained on because it was quite bouldery so I, I'd just do those moves every time I was down the wall and I don't know whether that made me um, overall stronger, but it probably helped me with those individual moves and it helped me to ultimately to get that route. But I, I, I feel as though like a lot of people have got this like um, plan in their mind. Maybe they're climbing, say they're climbing 14A and they want to climb 14C um, or they have a specific route which might be two grades harder than they're able to climb at the moment. So they've got like a real strategy. I, I never had that. Hmm. When I was in... That kind of position was when I was going through the the routes, which were what I aspired to do, which were really famous to me way back when I was like 24 or 25. So there was like 8A pluses, 8Bs, 8B pluses in the UK, which was super famous. And it was like, oh, my God, it'd be so good to climb those routes. It'd be amazing. Oh, they're so famous. And then, and then I did. I said, like, oh, right, okay, well... That, that was all a bit quick. And then I was suddenly like, I, I'd done them all. And then I was off like on my own. So most of the routes I did past then were were new routes, really. So I didn't feel as though I, I was trying to raise my game to climb those routes. Hmm. I, I would just find a route, get grabbed by it, and then usually do it certainly in a season. Hmm. Only, two, only two routes have gone sort of multi-season so far, um, Overshadow and Rain Man. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> not not mutation. That one was one season. Um, it spread over two, but the first season was, you know, put a bolt in, 
have a look at the moves. All right, this is pretty tricky. Try it for a couple of days and, and then it became the next season. And it was all packed into one season pretty much. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that was great because that was my first first sort of uh, new route, first first hard route. Probably turned out to be harder than what I thought, to be honest. Yeah, let's dig into that, actually. I mean, I have more questions about... Uh your general approach and kind of that going with the flow and switching things up. And I I wonder to what extent that has served you really well. You know, I mean, you've had such good longevity and climbed the hardest route at your life at age 46, which is amazing. 10 years after that, uh, that first 15 a that you did overshadow. Um, but I want to dig into mutation here and, you know, mutation, you put it up in 1998, I believe called it nine a so 14 D and it hasn't been repeated, I, I believe. Hanging in there. <laughs> Hanging in there. Yeah, just barely, right? So I actually just uh, was looking at your Instagram and saw that post of uh, Will Bozzi yeah, giving yeah. a go on it. What was that like to watch him try your route? I mean, so Will's, his his level of fitness and strength is is amazing. It's, it's far above mine completely. Um, so to watch him whiz up this route is really inspiring because he make, he's obviously he's a, a stronger climber than than I've ever been by miles hmm. and I think so so in answer to your question it's amazing to watch him and it makes me inspired and makes me want to sort of like raise my game as well to to climb that well I've kind of probably blown it now being 50 <laughs> um, but that that particular route it's it's just a hard one to do and the the bit that he's falling off, it fits me better than it fits Will in terms of body size. Okay. It, it's got tiny little handholds and I could sort of like lock into a, a body position which he, he doesn't fit it quite so well. Mm. So he's he's whizzing through a move lower down, which I, I found really hard. It was quite reachy and I basically wasn't anywhere near as strong as what he is. So I, I struggled on that a lot. But the upper wall... Although it's very hard, I could sort of squeeze my way through that. Um, and I think he's he just doesn't fit it quite so well. But it's a hard one to do because it's just tiny little handholds. I mean, we're talking like two mil, three mil kind of edges. Oof. And once the condition, yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's not very steep, but you, you, your footholds are not brilliant either. You need to sort of lock yourself in. You really need to lock yourself in. And that's that's probably my strongest body position if you imagine like locked in high foot hand by your shoulder mm. kind of thing really squeezed into the wall using your, your your sort of trailing foot as a counterbalance kind of thing that's the position i feel most comfortable in and it it really suits me on that particular move on that particular route but yeah like i say it's just hard to do it gets warm you've got no chance Absolutely no chance. It's got to be cold. It's got to be fresh. You got to get all the ingredients right. And uh, I think I just fluked it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you say things like that quite a lot, but, uh, you know, it wasn't your only, you've done harder things and you've been pretty consistent over all these years. So I don't know if I buy it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess you do, you make, you make your own look to it. The thing is that that's kind of it. You make your own look. You, um, you might get lucky, but then you look back on your luck and um, you realise that you were there like 10 days in a row. And you realise that 
you were the guy pushing the day. You were the guy who phoned 20 people to try and get to the crag for seven in the morning. You know, you were the guy that ditched all your work and pissed off your family and did whatever it took to be there. And then you, you get there and you just scrape it and think, oh my God, that was so lucky. I'm so lucky to have got that. And you, and then you look back in detail and you realise actually you, you kind of made it happen. You might It might have been close, but, you know, you were the guy that pushed it. Mm. So it's interesting. I mean, you gave it 14D, 9A, and it sounds like Will, at least, or, or some other people are speculating that it might be harder than that. And if it were, if it were 9A+, plus, it would have been, I believe, the first in the world, um, you know, a couple of years before Chris Sharma's biography. It, it, is that on your mind at all? Does that feel important to you at all? Is that a, even a question that you kick um, around? It's certainly not important. <laughs> it's definitely not important. It's the thing I find would find most amusing if that was to be the case, is that, you know, back then I was just such an unknown entity. You know, I was, nobody knew who I was at all. Um, and I actually graded it 8C plus slash 9A because I just didn't dare give it 9A. It, <laughs> 9A was for like superheroes and like, I was not one of them. Oh, wow. So to have, to have given it 9A plus, especially if it, if everybody knew that it really was, I don't know how they would have known that. But, you know, say all the wads came over and tried it and said, yeah, it's 9A+. This guy's done that great. would have been like, wow, like, look, look what happened. You know, one minute you were just bumbling around on 510 and, and now you've climbed the hardest street in the world. <laughs> it would have been totally <laughs> ridiculous. So it, it's not important that it gets upgraded. I don't care about that, but it's, I think it's quite funny. <laughs> it's quite funny that I just had no concept of how hard it was. <laughs> Amazing. <clears throat> okay, so I want to come back to this question that I had and, and dig a little bit further into it. So it's so interesting that you often say that you don't really train or haven't spent a lot of your time training. That's never been a focus for you. You had these, you know, six week periods where you would try Rain Man and then just relax and go do whatever your motivation told you to go do. Do you ever wish that you had more of that structure and focus? Or do you think that flexibility was the key. I mean, it's it's certainly easy for me to project or to fill in the blank there that, oh, that's probably why Steve has had such a long career without, you know, serious injuries, things like that. How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of anticipated that kind of question. You know, people would say, like, what, what would you have done differently? And what if you decided to, to train? really hard structure, you know, in, in the sort of modern style, you know, would that have been something that I would have gained from? And it's an interesting one because, yeah, maybe I could have trained harder with structure and upped my game a bit better. Uh, I might be climbing a little bit harder now, possibly, but maybe not. Maybe I would have missed out on all those ingredients which mm. have led me to where I am now. I, I mean... Don't get me wrong, it's not like I've not been doing anything. All those times that I wasn't <laughs> training, I was maybe out trad climbing or doing some big walls in Greenland or off on a 60-mile mountain bike ride or hanging out with my family or all the stuff which I think is really important as a human being to try and fit in. And um, if I had tried harder, trade harder, 
maybe I could have climbed harder, but maybe that would that have made me any happier? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like I've missed out on climbing-wise. I don't feel like I've missed out on very much, to be honest. I feel like I've had a, a reasonably rounded approach to it all. I mean, it would have been... There's, there's plenty of time I've sat in front of the telly and looking back, I, I could have missed out some TV watching and done some fingerboarding. <laughs> uh, I might have had stronger fingers and maybe that would have been good. Maybe I could have prevented some injuries. Who knows? Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't look back. I don't tend to look back and think, I wish I'd done that. Um, I tend to look forward and think, I want to do that. <laughs> mm. Mm. You can't have regrets, can you? That's great. That makes me think of a, a conversation you had recently with Lattice Training with Tom Randall over at Lattice. Mm, and uh, yeah. it's really fun to to listen to that. And I have a couple things I want to draw on from that. Yeah, fire away. One thing that really stood out was uh, you talking about all the times over the years where you perceived that you were at, at your absolute limit, but it turns out <laughs> in hindsight that you weren't even close. And... I love this. I really latch on to this idea because, and I'll tell you that you are uniquely inspiring for me because I started climbing pretty late in life. I, I didn't climb at all before I was 18. And, you know, I probably had a similar time frame as you as far as when I really latched onto sport climbing and pushing myself and having a drive to improve and, and do harder routes in my mid-20s after college, that sort of thing. And I'm 31 now. And I really want to believe that I have a lot more potential left ahead of me. That's difficult sometimes. It's really easy to trick myself into thinking like, well, you know, maybe, but I've kind of been stuck at a similar plateau for quite a while now. So maybe I'm at my genetic potential. It's easy to kind of tell myself that story, but I also don't want to believe it. And seeing what you've done, seeing you climb your hardest route of your life at 46, and it seems like you're still, I don't, I don't know what your climbing is like these days, but it seems like you're still absolutely crushing at, at age 50. I would love to hear if you can remember, do you remember what your own perceived personal limit was when you were my age? Do you remember where you at when you were 31? And 31. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that when I climbed rain shadow which is 9a i kind of i think i was 32 i'm pretty sure i said that was as hard as it was going to get it was it was was not going any harder than that and um it took me quite a few days to do that maybe 20 days and i just thought yeah that that's that's as as hard as i can push obviously we like i say it wasn't even started and whether i'm much physically better than I was then is up for debate. Hmm. I, th- I think there is definitely some areas that I've increased in, but I, I, I'm certainly wiser. Um, I've learned that I can try harder. I've learned that, I, you know, I can move better. Uh, my tactics are better. The way that I look at sequences and, and I can sort of stare them down and figure it out. I, I'm definitely better at doing that now. Uh, my footwork's probably better. You know, you, you, as you age, you get better as long as you put the time in. Mm. So I suppose going back to, you know, what we we said earlier on about, you know, what could I have done differently? You know, I've, I've climbed a, a ton on all kinds of rock and you, you learn, the human being, it just learns and learns and learns as it goes along. So in, in terms of your potential, 
your potential to be a good mover is way, way from its peak. Mm. Um, whether you ever reach a peak, I don't even know. Maybe you just keep on learning. Mm. So that's definitely worth bearing in mind. You know, you're going to get better. Um, and as long as you can stay on top of it physically, whether that is through training or just trying hard, that's probably going to be enough because, you know, you're making gains in other areas. Hmm. So, yeah, 31, man, you've not even started. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> not even started. I, I guess I guess the take-home thing here would be, and I, I really believe this as well, the, the technical side of climbing and the mental side of climbing is so crucial. And if you abandon those or if you put those to one side and focus on strength, then you might be doing yourself in especially if you are actually approaching your your physical limit because the gains you're going to squeeze out are, are getting less and less. Mm. And and to be honest, these days, potentially less appropriate. You know, there's a lot of training practices out there which I, I, I see them as maybe not as appropriate as they could be. Mm. And if you get sucked down the road of doing stacks of stuff on the rings and um, loads of deadlifts, which which are useful, but if you find yourself at the end of a two-month block and think, oh, actually, I've only been doing deadlifts and rings, that's all I've done, <laughs> which which happens, then yeah, yeah, you've got to start. I've been there, maybe maybe with hangboarding thrown in. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not going to get you up, just do it. It's, it's, mm. You need to have that volume on rock. And if you mm. let the the technical and the, the mental side slip, that's likely to have a bigger impact than a small drop in physical performance. Mm. You're going you're gonna to pay for it. Thanks for all that. Yeah, that's those points are really well taken and they really resonate. And, and that's been a pretty consistent theme. But yeah, you really seem to epitomize what that, you know, where that approach can can take you, which is really inspiring. Did I ever, did, did, did you, well, I can't remember where I might have mentioned it, but yeah. I've said this like, I've said this hundreds of times before, I think that the the rock climbing ability is three parts. It's the the technical, the mental, and the physical, of which I think they're about equal, so a third each, somewhere around there. So if you um, if you let one of those drop by quite a, a bit, it's going to make obviously a big difference to your max performance. Now, if you were to let ten percent of your strength go down. Now, that's obviously quite a lot, isn't it? 10% of strength. You know, you feel that. 10% of strength is gone. But that might only account for 10% of your third, which mm. is how much? It's not very much. Mm. That's starting to be quite a sliver, isn't it? When you think about it like that. But 10% lost in your technical can easily be done. And 10% of your mental can easily be done when you're not really on fire and you're a bit scared and a bit wobbly. Suddenly you've lost 50%. And that's having a much bigger impact on your overall ability mm. than just a little bit of strength that you'd lost by missing a few fingerboard sessions. You know, it's it's important to get that in context at how important each three component is. And we're I think we're rapidly losing sight of that as we go forward. You know, half the stuff on Instagram now that is related to rock climbing is how strong you are. You know, most of the posts are like how what you can hang on on a fingerboard. And some of them are amazing. I was looking at some, I think it was a Chinese guy the other day, he was hanging on these like two mil edges, banging out pull-ups. It was mental. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That point's well taken, and I don't want to risk diminishing that by any means, but I do want to ask about one other, one specific training thing that did come out of that conversation with Lattice. Because, I don't know, this is something that I'm familiar with. I think most people listening to this will have at least seen this, if not tried it, but you were talking about power endurance training, and there was one exercise in particular that you pointed to as... I think you called it like the most effective power endurance training tool outside of obviously trying your project. And uh, you mentioned that you thought you invented it too, which I I love. (laughs) I would love to hear about foot on campusing. Maybe if you could just uh, describe it to start and then I'd I'd love to dig into the the details of it. So I I suppose it's often called foot foot on laddering as well, Mm. campus laddering. Um, which is, I mean, you know, it's basically using a, a campus board, but you're, you've got your feet on as well. So it just makes it a hell of a lot easier. And it turns it from um, what is effectively a, a power exercise, you know, people doing, you know, the, the classic one, four, seven. Instead of doing that, you're on the board for a multiple, multiple movements and maybe one and a half, two, two and a half minutes. So you, you're moving well away from power, much more into the power endurance side of things where your forearms are getting really quite pumped. Mm. And I just kind of dreamt this up way back in about, nine, uh, would it be 95, I suppose, somewhere around there. Campus boards existed. I, I couldn't touch the campus moves at all. There's no way. But I was I was aware that when I tried the climbs that I was interested in doing I just got really pumped you know my arms just got really pumped it wasn't that the moves were too hard or the holds were too small but I was falling because I was pumped so I was like well what can I do to rectify this problem so obviously I could go in and do roots uh, I could go to the climbing wall and do roots but I just had this thought that going up and down this campus board with some feet little feet rungs was going to be a really good exercise and and it just turned out to be brilliant in so many ways. And it's not just that it it's a really appropriate exercise for that kind of training. It fits the bill for a lot of other reasons, for things like you can fit it in around other stuff. You can do it when you're tired. Uh, it, like um, like the, the classic repeaters that people do on a fingerboard, it's similar to that, but it has a lot of movement in there as well. So it's much more similar to actual climbing movement, even though it's quite basic. Um, with it being basic, it means you're not instilling any sort of poor movement patterns. You're not building in bad techniques, which you often do when you get tired. Hmm. Uh, you can do this exercise after you've had a session. I used to have a campus board with foot-on holds in my cellar. So, you know, I'd be up making the kids their tea and then leg it down to the cellar, do a quick two and a half minute session and then rest for 10 minutes, come up, do the, the rest of the tea, serve their tea, back down the cellar, two and a half minutes. You know, I'd get like four reps of really deep burn in my forearms and nobody even noticed where I was. So, <laughs> so it, it was really handy for, for, for doing that. And I still think it's great. I still yeah. think it's, it's, not, it's not like... The substitute for everything. Sure. But it's a, it's a very good top-up tool. And there's been times I've turned up to the climbing wall, started climbing, and just thought, oh, man, 
I'm not in it today. You know, I'm knackered. I'm, you know, my head's not in it. I, I think I'll just go home. And then just think, well, hang on, no, let's just do a little bit of that foot on campusing. You know, it's going to take me half an hour. I'm, I'm going to get four good burns in. And I walk away thinking, yeah, that was that was good. That was valuable. It was useful. I feel better. I feel like I worked out. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's good. It's good for those uh, making you feel as though you've done something as well. It's great. Mm. And, and it works. I, I want to dig into the mechanics of that a little bit. So do you have your climbing shoes on? So, yes, I I do when I'm at the the climbing wall that I often go to because the the foot rungs are, are poor they're okay. probably only they're probably maybe five mil and a bit rounded okay um but the the one that i had in my cellar before i just made the the edges quite good they were sort of like i don't know three quarter inch so i could do it in my trainers okay it doesn't doesn't, doesn't matter <laughs> it's not yeah, bad yeah. footwork and you're not moving your feet at all they're just staying on the rung no, I, I was. So the movement pattern that I was using was uh, one to four. So I start off matched on one, then go to four, and then to six, match on six, back down to four, then to two, and then down to one, match on one. Okay. Uh, the, the reason why I'd go to two is so that you lead with a different hand every time. Um, and also, if you go from four back down to one... That's the crux, and that's where you'd always fall off. Mm. So if you go four <laughs> to two to one, then you end up with no crux, and you can fall off anywhere, which is ideally what you want. And anyway, in order to get to the rung number six, I'd have to move my feet. So it brings a little bit of extra movement in there as well, um, which is really good. I think it's really useful to have that movement and the way that you're moving with sort of a bit of speed, a bit of velocity, you know, you're, you're, you're pouncing up using a bit of sort of um, dead point action to get each hold and con- and staying in control, but but not so much that it's actually a technical, difficult climbing move where bad technique might be instilled. Mm. Okay, so you would have like two foot rungs yeah. on a kick plate or something. You got it. Both horizontal. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, 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 totally. And the, the the feet would be, I mean, generally I'd make them pretty good and pretty wide, so that I could be a bit sloppy with my footwork and not have to be super accurate. Um, you could make it more intense with smaller footholds, I guess. Uh, for me, it didn't seem to be that wasn't crucial to that actual exercise. So interesting. And then you mentioned about two and a half minutes on, ten minutes off, four rounds of that. Was that just because that's how long it took you to go to failure? Were you going to failure? So, oh man, so I mean, this is a whole uh, can of worms, is it, in terms of like, how, how, what, what do you actually do? I mean, so yes, I, I, I would usually go to failure. You could do it a different way around, not go to failure. So you, you can then have a shorter rest and potentially you can have more, more time because you don't need to recover. That's always the problem about going to failure is you need longer time to recover. Mm. Um, I think both both methods are really good. You you need a little bit of going to failure because it teaches your body to dig in. Mm. Also, your brain to push on. You know, if your brain's used to sort of getting off when it gets a bit hard, then you know that's another another thing you need to be able to do is to to keep on going to the bitter end. So I, I would usually go to failure, and the the time period was something that I 
discovered was it felt like the right kind of pump in my arms for the kind of routes that I was trying. So if, it, if I was on much longer, I felt as I was kind of venturing into the endurance world. And if I was on for like less than a minute, it felt like I was getting down towards more the bouldering end. Um, all of these things need to be done and can be done potentially even alongside it. But for the classic power endurance, that stuff when you, you know, you're on a route and you, 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 you're going for it at the top of just do it. And, you know, those holes are getting smaller and smaller and your elbows are going up and your forearms are burning. <laughs> Two and a half minutes is the, is the time period. Hmm. That feels the most appropriate for, for the kind of routes that we all want to do. Really. Mm, mm-hmm. Great. Okay. And then I, I want to get into how you fit this in with uh, your normal climbing because, you know, it's worth reiterating that this was always just one small piece of everything that you were doing. But I think I remember you saying in that conversation that you were doing it about once a week. And I think you just did that for a few years. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I was doing the the foot on campusing in my crappy little bed sit where, where I first lived. Um, I, I really wish I'd taken some photographs of it. It was great, <laughs> but it, it was it was a one room bed sit. It was tiny, and um, I would do that after I'd climbed. So I, I suppose another thing that I became aware of was the the limestone in the Peak District is quite it's quite intense on the fingers, and it's quite sharp. And quite often you would finish your session because your fingers had kind of had enough. Really, your skin. And you might. Yeah, your skin was gone a little bit and it just started to get a bit painful. Mm. And you you could push on more on easier routes, start dropping the grades. But usually I was a bit sort of time starved. So I'd come back and I could squeeze out a bit more training and potentially a bit of training which I hadn't been doing. So I might have been at the crag, maybe working a route. So it was kind of boulder orientated. And, you know, you, you do that, you know, day after day. You know, you, you maybe day on, day off, day on, two off, day on. And you do that for a few weeks and you think, oh, I've not actually been pumped at all for ages. And this route is going to require me to get pumped once I start piecing it together. So it was like, a, you know, people talk about split sessions. Mm. But I suppose it was like a bit of a split session, really. I'd come home and then whilst I was cooking my tea or whatever, I would just knock out a couple of circuits on this. Uh, maybe I would do it sometimes twice a week maybe once a week, but it was, you know, it lived with me in my one room bed sit as a little thing to go on. So I I guess it was probably a couple of years that I went up and down that. And uh, I I really think it made a difference. Um, It's certainly not been, it's not been one of my weak links over the years anyway. Is that something you still do? Yeah, it is. (laughs) I don't, I don't do as, I, I think I quite like it because it feel it really feels like you do something and i i genuinely think it does do something as well certainly for me whether it works for everybody i, I don't know but uh, i mean i've coached a lot of people and pointed them to that exercise and they've definitely made some gains definitely because as we know power plus endurance doesn't make power endurance mm. which is a a classic mistake people fall into you, you need that bit in the middle as well. I mean, obviously being super strong helps a lot, but as soon as you start getting pumped, if you, you know, even if you're really strong, you, your arms are up and you're out of there. So mm. you need to get some, some uh, extra gains that the power endurance training can get you. And that is just, an, it's just an easy fix. It's an easy fix. Mm. 
so interesting. My my brain's just running with this. I'm trying to devise a way that I can set this up in my van. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be tricky, but maybe on the back, maybe I can mount something on the ladder on the back. People use repeaters quite a lot, don't they? That's a classic exercise on a fingerboard. Yeah. Um, I just think that's flipping hard going. It's painful. It's you're not really moving your body very much. It, it, that's just another level of motivation which I haven't got. <laughs> Whereas the foot on campusing feel it feels like a sort of very basic climbing session, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm. You can probably build one in your van. You got you got plenty of space in there. <laughs> I'll give it a try. I'm excited to, yeah. to try that. <laughs> All right. I'd love to dig into some, uh, some listener questions for you. There's some really good ones. And, uh, you know, I I had a number of other topics I was hoping to get into with you. And I think these questions capture some of those topics really well. So, so yeah, the first one is from Bronco. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly. Bronco writes, as someone who climbs mostly at a nearby crag because of family and business constraints, I am left with mostly projects there as I've climbed everything that is achievable for me. So my question for Steve is, you climb at Raven Tour often. It's your local crag. Now that you've done everything there, I'm guessing that you only have projects left. How do you approach that these days? Do you only get on the hard stuff or do you repeat any routes to continue building your pyramid? Love to hear how you think about that. Well, uh, well, Bronco, I think we're probably in a similar kind of position there. And so I think... I'm using the local peak district crags. Some people might even call it like a an indoor climbing wall. You know, the, my approach to it is, you know, I go there and I'm, I'm not so much trying to get better. I'm not using them as training. I'm just, I just like, I like climbing and that's the, that the stuff in the peak, even though I've done most of it before, it's still good. I still have a nice time when I'm climbing on it. And I suppose part of me is using it as part of the bigger picture for other stuff that might come along, trips away or harder routes that may may appear, projects. You know, I, I can go to the crag and do routes I've done before, and I, I get I get a kick out of it. I, I like it. You know, I just I just like climbing. I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't really doesn't really bore me. I could climb on the same bit of rock for forever i think and and still really enjoy it as long as the climbing was actually good climbing but i i I can appreciate that it it might start to get a bit hard going when you're at the same place the same time on the same routes with not really much to to look forward to and and that's where you I, i think you probably need to look towards the big picture and to see what else there is out there and if there's something that you are motivated to try a trip away or something then see the stuff at the crag as like a bunch of benchmarks and just keep keep those uh, up to speed make sure you can do them um, because ultimately it, it's rarely the same experience um you know you you try something and the next time you try it it feels a bit different and you know these days i mean climbing is such an arbitrary sport it's so ridiculous you know, there's always a path around the back anyway. Make up your own rules. Do it five times in an hour. <laughs> you know, that that can be super inspiring. You know, if you can do a route five times in an hour that you used to be able to only do once, then that's got to be something to be, you're going to take home something from that and think, wow, I'm on fire. That's good. 
That's really great. Um, I want to ask uh, my own question, and this relates to, to Rain Man again. So, you know, this is um, this is at Malam Cove, where you've also spent a lot of time. I assume you've climbed everything there as well. And this was a multi-season project. What did you do when you were going back to have another season on Rain Man? Did you have certain routes that you needed to uh, repeat to kind of build momentum or confidence or get the fitness, or did you just get straight on the thing? How did you approach that in that second season of trying or those subsequent seasons? Yes, I mean, it did go on. It was spread over seven years, although oh wow, yeah. quite a lot of the days... Yeah, it was seven years, but quite quite a lot of the days on it and quite a lot of the seasons on it didn't really amount to very much. And it was only really sort of four, maybe maybe four seasons that I was actually really trying proper hard. And the season there starts early. It's like the first thing that you do. You know, it starts in maybe March. So you're coming out of winter. And I suppose one of the the, the differences in the, the latter seasons was that I did actually... I suppose the the rather the earlier seasons, I just sort of turned up and then it was like, okay, right, well, I'm the same as I was last year. Okay, right, well, I'm going to have to go through the same process, but fortunately I know the moves, so I would maybe be on a higher trajectory towards success, I guess, uh, but we never really got there. But then I think the, the last two seasons, I was more aware that it was it was going to be coming into view. The season was going to start... And I was going to be back on it. So actually, do you know what? Let's actually get ready for it rather than just turning up. So I would actually put more effort into what I was... Actually, that's wrong. Not more effort, but more thought into what I was doing at the climbing wall. So typically for me, I see the climbing wall as a place to go climbing. I don't really see it as a place to go training. Uh, um, you know, my my time at the climbing wall is usually quite random i'll turn up and one day i'm doing roots and then someone will say oh do you want to go bouldering uh, next wednesday okay yeah I, I, i'll come bouldering and then maybe i'll do some fingerboarding afterwards or maybe i won't you know i don't have a structured training plan i see it as like a crag whereas maybe the last two seasons it was like right actually do you know what just having a bunch of days doing um, roots is maybe not the best plan so do your roots if you want, but actually just just bear in mind what you're going to need for this project. You know, you, you are going to need to be as strong as you can be. You are going to have to have a good level of power endurance. So maybe do more bouldering than you would have done. Maybe do more limit bouldering than rather than just trying to do like 40 boulder problems. You know, try and do three really hard problems. And I'd get just as much out of it, but my my thought process was it was it was aligned with the fact that the Malham route was going to be coming into view. And I think that that definitely made a difference. It was the first time I'd I'd seen my time in the climbing wall as, as like a build-up as opposed to just a crag to do whatever I wanted, really. Got it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've got a question from Adriel, and he's got a couple questions, actually, and... The first one's interesting to me. You know, you've you've I've heard you talk, I think you wrote about this in the book, but I've heard you say this before as well on interviews that you don't think of yourself as being a very strong climber and you really point towards I mean, you talked about those three components of uh of climbing and I think your technique and your mental game are extremely good. 
maybe you think that that makes up for some strength, but you're, you're also very strong. I mean, you might not have climbed V15, but you've, you know, you can climb a V11 crux, you know, halfway up a, a hard route. And uh, Adriel's question is, if you had to choose one workout for strength gains over the years, what would it be? What, what do you oh, think you've leaned on to, uh, to improve your strength, if anything? Um, no, that's one workout. Are we talking one exercise? <laughs> I mean, fingerboarding is obviously, that's pretty key, isn't it, really? I think these days I've had to pick a one exercise. I've found in, in recent years doing what people call low rows on the rings. Do you know that exercise? Where low you, rows? Yeah, imagine, imagine like um, you've got the rings, the, the the two rings set at a maybe two and a half foot high and you lie on your back on the ground and you reach up and grab the rings and they're just out of reach. So when you've got hold of them, you're not touching the ground, but you nearly are. Your body's horizontal and you just pull up on the rings, sometimes just using one arm, but keeping your body really sort of... Um, straight, a bit like doing a front lever where your, heel, your heels are on the ground. Okay. I found that really useful for my shoulder stability and also the fact that quite a lot of the climbing we do is quite steep and you're holding onto a hold and your feet are, you know, they're far back. You've got to be able to stay tight into the rock. That felt like a really useful strength exercise because it's different from just the, the standard pull-up. You know, we do a lot of pulling down, but also this is sort of like pulling in as well. That's been mm. useful for me. But to pick out one, if I, if I only had one exercise to do forever, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> wouldn't be, it wouldn't be... Maybe just go bouldering. It, it probably would. And, well, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of if you had to say what one thing would you do to get strong, go bouldering. There's like no doubt about it. Bouldering encompasses everything, all the movement patterns, all the different types of strength. You know, you've got to try hard, you've got to move well. It gets you strong. Uh, yeah, bouldering. Bouldering is king. There's no doubt about it. Ultimately, mm. if you're not strong enough to do the moves, you won't get the route. Adriel also asks, who would win in an arm wrestling match, you or Dave McLeod? <laughs> no, no. It was funny because if you'd said, like, literally anybody else, <laughs> it would have been, of course, I won't win. But <laughs> I probably, I probably still would get beat by Dave. Um, but Dave is an interesting guy. Dave is super interesting because he, he's quite like me as well. We, we, we're relatively not very strong and we climb on tenacity and movement. Mm. Uh, I remember Dave was one of my super heroes because I could really relate to him. I mean, he's such a cool character. He's like, he's like a, he's a genius, Dave. Anybody that spends any time with him will know that he's got such good things to say he's, he's great to hang out with but he moves like that as well he moves like mm. a genius he, he's super inspiring you know some guys i watch i just think whoa you are so strong you've just like literally ripped those holes off the wall you're just incredible but that doesn't do much for me because i i just think i you know i wish i was as strong as that but i'm not and i never will be so i can't climb like that when I see Dave climb, I think, ah, oh, do you know that is that is cunning, that is clever, that is that is interesting. You know, he is he's somebody really interesting to watch. He he would beat me in an arm wrestling, but I might I might give him a bit <laughs> a bit of a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> 
This is a question from Will. Will was wondering, how does Steve balance training and recovery as he gets older? And Will writes, I find as I get older, I'm almost 40 years old now with three kids. I can train just as hard, but it can take up to three or four days to recover from a hard session. Does Steve have any tips? Um, I, I probably haven't got many tips because I, I find the same thing as well. Uh, I, I can I can train as I feel like I can train as hard. Maybe I'm not doing quite as much volume. I'm not quite sure. But I certainly feel like I'm doing plenty of stuff. And when I'm on the rock, I don't feel like I've actually dropped off even at all, to be honest. But I do, like, there's, there's times recently where I've tried to do my old sort of day on, day off. I just can't do it. You know, I, I do a hard day on, take a day off, turn up again the next day. Uh-uh, it's not going to happen. You know, I can... I can still climb reasonably hard, but I just know it's just not quite there. So, mm. yeah, for sure. I, I definitely, if I have a really hard session, I'm, I'm going to need two days rest. No doubt about it. Uh, my fingers, they, they don't recover as well. Um, I feel a bit tweaky. I mean, I mean, I get out of bed most days and I just think, really? Like, <laughs> is this good? <laughs> You know, to like <laughs> hobble around and just my arms are aching and my fingers are creaking and uh, and then it, it goes away after a couple of days. But it, I'm, I'm afraid that as you get older, it gets harder. Do you know what? This, I think something is. This is this is interesting. For so using age as an excuse is totally not valid unless the person you're using the excuse on is also old. And what I mean by that is when you're young, you just don't get it. You just do not mm. get it at all. So I remember like talking to guys that, you know, might, they might have been like 45 and I was 30 or something. And and um, I'd be wondering why they were struggling on, a, a, on an 8B or something when they'd climbed 8B before. And they'd say, oh, you know, it's, I'm finding it really hard to recover. And I just didn't get it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, come on, pull your socks up, get on with it. Stop, stop messing around. It's only when you get to an older age that you're like, oh, do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> now I understand. The, the youth just don't get it. They don't get huh. it. And, and when you, you get a training plan from somebody who's 20 years younger than you, and you're like, you've got to be joking. There's no way I can do that. And they're like, of course you can. You, know, you, you can just do it. You know, Up your game, get on with it. Uh, no way. <laughs> no, you've got to be old to know. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a common uh, climbing schedule like for you these days? Is it one day, two days off or what? I will probably fall into a one day on, two days off if I really want to be on fire. Um, sometimes I might do one day on easy day or power endurance day or route setting day, something along those lines, um, and then back on again. Um but it, it it varies at the like right now I'm kind of doing day on day off, um, but I'm I'm aware that if if I do the day on day off, there's going to be some days where I turn up at the crag and just think oh no it's it's, it's not quite there, um, mm. which is okay you know that's still okay. But if, if I've got something really in mind, certainly when when I was trying Rain Man, I had a, a very specific routine which was I think it was Monday on the route, Tuesday route setting. Wednesday and Thursday off and then back on Friday. Mm. So I had two clear days. So I, it, the route setting, I'd always try and train as well. 
Um, but so it'd be like, yeah, day on the route. Call, call it day on the route, training day, two off, day on the route, two off, day on the route. So there's a lot of rest in there. But but be, bear in mind that would only maybe last six or seven weeks because you, you start to lose a bit of strength over that period. I think if you try to do that forever, you know, you, you'd start to make some some losses. You need you need to boost it up a bit more than that. Mm. But I mean, at the moment, you know, I, I'm doing the sort of day on day off, but I'm also cycling like 40 miles or more every other day as well. Like to, today I did about 60 miles today. Uh, my, my work my, my work is still a bit impacted through COVID, so I've not got as much work as normal. So I'm just out pretty much every day doing something. Um, and even if I am working, it might be three hours coaching. That still gives me time to either climb or or actually hit the bike, um, go for a walk mm. with the kids, with the family, whatever. So I'm out all the time, pretty much. It's great. And your work, is that coaching and setting mostly these days? Uh, well, these days, no. <laughs> Reel the clock back okay. about, a year, <laughs> about a year and a half then, yeah. So, yeah, it was... So in, in the winter, I might be doing three days a week setting, two days a week coaching. Uh, I would try to back it off a little bit in the in the spring when I wanted to climb a bit more. So I'd, I'd try and push the route setting down to maybe two days a week and one day a week coaching. And other stuff as well, like talks and bits of writing mm. and working for um, the brands that I work with. Um, I've got a couple of properties as well that need maintenance and um, just stuff. I just seem to have lots of stuff going on, none of which is bad. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, my, my work is, it's uh, taken a little bit of a nosedive, but it'll come back. Um, mm. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure I wanted to. It's quite nice having the flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys uh you guys were in a, a lockdown until pretty recently right yeah we we had quite um an intensive lockdown from the start of the year and in fact beyond that it, it was earlier than that right through until reasonably recently and th there was some flexibility in terms of the fact that we could climb there wasn't like a no climbing ban which there was in the earlier lockdowns i think people realized that climbing was actually fairly low risk in terms of transmission but people were keeping it pretty safe you know people were bouldering they weren't really route climbing and also we were we were staying very much in our local area and i didn't drive to a, a crag for more than well more than two months probably pretty much three months i didn't drive mm. anywhere so i was cycling out doing some local bouldering you keep keeping it super local really and that's relaxed off a bit now. Uh, it's opening up a little bit, but it's still not easy. That You can't really stay anywhere. So you, you're doing day trips. And you, I mean, I don't want to be driving for like a really long way to to only to be driving back the same day. So I'm still relatively local at the moment. Mm, yeah. But yeah, man, I'm missing the, missing the mountains big time. Really missing getting out there. But it'll come back and it'll turn out good and it'll be great. Well, that's a good lead into uh, one more listener question. This is from Anderson, and he's wondering, does Steve think his hardest climbing is ahead of him? And what about his best? Those are kind of two same but different questions. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're quite big questions, hardest and best. So I'd like to think that the, the let's talk about the hardest first. Um, 
if somebody was to say what do what do you what do you want to achieve? Is there anything you want to achieve? And I was to think about climbing only, then I, I would like to climb um, a Fontaine B, which although I have climbed quite a few, well, I say quite a few, probably not that many, but I've, I've climbed Fontaine B, but I've, I don't really feel as I've done a proper block style Fontaine B, you know, like three mm. or four rock hard moves. Yeah, maybe they've been longer traverses or things like that. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So so I'd like to do one of those, and I think I'm capable of doing one of those. So, so yeah, um, potentially the hardest bouldering that I've ever done might be yet to come, and I'm quite motivated for that. That's amazing to hear you say that at age 50. I love that. That just gets me <laughs> psyched. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Whether, whether I'll be doing the hardest sport route I ever do is, I mean, to be fair, it's probably not very likely um, because I'm not sure I can invest that amount of time. Mm. Um, I may well be able to, but I don't know whether I'll find that route. I mean, as I've said already, this route that uh, Rain Man was just such a good route. It was very easy for me to fall in love with it and devote. Um, I'd have to find something equally as good for me to throw myself all in. I don't know whether I'll find that. Uh, there's plenty of stuff abroad, but my life doesn't work like that at the moment. You know, with family and and work, I, I can't just go and live in Sears for three months. Um, it it wouldn't it wouldn't work. But in terms of other routes, I, I actually think that potentially the hardest route that I've ever climbed was um, a route called Nightmare, which is a traditional route on a place called the Cromlech in North Wales. It's it's not super hard. It's like 8A, but it's pretty dicey. And I unsighted that last uh, year before last, and it, it felt like it took everything, every bit of skill and every bit of strength and every bit of experience that I've gained over my entire life to do that. It, it pushed me right to the limit and... I felt as elated having done that as I was after doing Rain Man. It felt like the biggest. <laughs> wow. It felt like the biggest effort that I've ever done. It was. It was brilliant. It was totally brilliant. But it was. I think that was maybe the hardest thing that I've ever done, for sure. Wow, incredible! So it it's not just about the grades. It's. It's. There's more to it than that. Um, but you know, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the your best, hardest versus best, best yeah. That's it, best. So best, man, I mean, best. Best just goes on and on and on. Um, <laughs> you can have amazing experiences, like, just they just come out of the blue. I mean, I, I did a route last year. It was in a place called Northumberland. And it, it's not very hard. It's probably 510. But it was just so nice to climb. It was, it was wonderful. And the holes <laughs> were lovely. And it just... It just felt so nice to climb. I was almost crying at the top. It was just like, <laughs> oh my God, that is so good to climb. It was just brilliant. And you can have these experiences. It doesn't have to be hard. And they just come rolling in. And yeah, you know, just enjoy them while they're there. Mm. I, I don't think the best will ever stop coming in. Just mm. get out there and yeah, and enjoy it. Steve, what is one of the best decisions you've ever made? 
<laughs> do you know what? I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, and that is a, a really interesting question because I was talking to someone about this the other day. And in terms of decisions, that there's so, so few decisions that we make in our life at a, a sort of crossroads. You know what I mean? There's, mm. there's very few big crossroads in your life where you can go left and you can go right and they'll have a huge influence on where you end up at the end. The only, the, the big one is really where you go to live, to study. You know, there, there could be nothing as big as that where you make a choice. Do I go here or do I go there? And you choose one place and then your entire life then leads off from there, you know, what, what job you have, what qualifications you get, what friends you have, what career you have, what partner you have, what your kids are like. You know, it, it's almost it's almost mind-boggling to imagine what would have happened if you'd chosen a different city. Uh, you know, it's crazy to think. But anyway, I chose Sheffield to live in. I mean, I was drawn by the climbing massively. And interestingly, I... When I chose my university decisions, in England you choose a bunch of universities that you you would like to go to, and then having done your, having got your grades back, the universities get back to you and say, yeah, yeah, we, you know, well done, you've got the right grades, in you come, or they they get back to you and say, actually, no, sorry, mate, you didn't quite get the right grades, you can't come. So of all the universities that I chose, after I got my grades, they all said, yeah, well done, you've got the right grades, except Sheffield. They said, oh wow! You've you've not quite got the right grades, mate. So you can't come. So I was like, right. Well, I'm so keen on going to Sheffield. I'm going to decide to take another year doing my qualifications because I so want to go to Sheffield. So I did another year at college to get the grades and got the grades and went to Sheffield. So it felt like a really big decision, but there's no doubt that moving to Sheffield has hugely influenced every part of my life from there and the climbing side of it as well you know being in the right place with the right type of climbing the right people and it's basically it's made me as not just a climber but you know the fact that i'm sat here talking to you now yeah it's it's come good it was a damn good Mm. decision (laughs) are there any daily routines or habits that are particularly important for you at this point i am a creature of habit when it comes to breakfast (laughs) (laughs) can i guess yeah guess is it muesli and uh bran flakes and corn flakes all mixed in a bowl with no milk (laughs) (laughs) that's not a guess (laughs) you know (laughs) nobody would guess that (laughs) yeah that that's pretty much it like a bunch of granola a load of like some good quality raisins in there maybe some dates um, yeah, no milk. I just no I just, milk. I, what, what's milk all about? Go soggy. It's <laughs> rubbish. Nobody wants soggy cornflakes in there. So yeah, I, I just I just love my breakfast. I, I I definitely like. I don't drink tea tea or coffee. So Interesting. It's not it's not a health thing. It's definitely not a health thing. I'm not known for my health. Um, I get up and I just love that. <laughs> I love that Brex thing. So I, I enjoy my breakfast. But once that's over and done with, then. I'm pretty, you know, my days can be so varied. Um, I like to chill out in the evening. Um, I don't like to just sort of like do like lots of stuff and then leap into bed. You know, I like to sort of wind down. Um, but yeah, my, my days have no structure to them at all. There can be anything from, you know, 
a day's walking with the family, uh, a, a day getting up at half past six to go route setting for 10 hours, 70 mile bike ride, day on the crag. Um, actually, maybe that <laughs> they're all quite similar when I think about it compared to what most people do. I, I do very little in terms of like going shopping or going to the bar. <laughs> Don't do that much of that. <laughs> Got it. I'd love to ask about your writing practice. I already mentioned your book, your autobiography. And I think in that book, at least early on, I think in your Thailand, in your traveling chapter, you talked about your diary and how important that was to you. Um, I think you kept a blog for a long time. I, I can't remember if you still do, but tell me about your writing practice. Is that something that you do every day? It's definitely not something that I do every day anymore. Um, I like going way back. I used to keep a, a really in-depth personal diary. This is back when I'm like nineteen, twenty years old, and um, man, I'd write pages about you know what was going on in my head. Some of it was pretty deep. Some of it almost seems a bit like really, you know, man, you were on a mission there. Um, so I, I like I like writing, and I really liked writing the book. It was awesome. And I used to really like writing articles for the magazines and I liked writing a blog as well. But I've certainly let that slip a lot and I, I, I do kind of miss it and I would like to to write more. I suppose one of the tricky things is it's it's difficult, maybe motivationally for me to write now, knowing there's no place to put it other than in my own book. Hmm. And I've, I've found over the years... I find it easier to write just to myself when maybe I've got a bit of conflict going on. Maybe I've got, um, maybe I'm not quite on the, on the right zone. You know, I've got something deep in deep going on. So then I can sort of pour it out to myself and that's great. But when I'm just feeling good, everything's moving along. Everything's sort of, um, feeling fine. I don't feel the need to write that kind of thing. Mm. I feel more like I'm more inspired to write stuff that, maybe other people might want to read um maybe some um, useful um training stuff not that i know loads about training but you know like interesting experience that i might have had that i could maybe share that with other people and there's fewer outlets for that now you know people want to read two lines on an instagram post that's it they don't, they want to read, don't want to read an article <laughs> it takes too long so there's no there's nowhere for it to go so i think if i if i had another sort of like book idea in me then I, I would get really into that. I'd mm. get really into it, but I'm not sure I've got enough to fill more than a pamphlet, never mind a book. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <clears throat> I keep yeah. a training diary. A training diary is, well, when I say training, it's it's a climbing diary. It's not a training diary. So, you know, if I've had, a, particularly if I've had good days on the crag, I'm quite motivated to write. It, we're only talking like five minutes, 10 minutes, yeah. You know, good day on the crag, you know, really into this route, this move, that move, need to need to work out how to get past this section, feeling good today, feeling bad today. You know, I quite like to put that down. So I've I've got climbing diaries and they 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 go way back uh to when I was um like twenty four. So yeah, I've got a big stack of books. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. They, they sometimes, sometimes I look back and, and have a little read to see what I was up to like 20 years ago. It's quite interesting. <laughs> that, yeah, that is, that's time travel. That's fascinating. <laughs> I, I am curious. I was about to ask that actually. How often do you go back and read that? Um, you know, 
especially in the context of like trying a project or something, are you reading back and reflecting or is it more about just the just the, the process of kind of decompressing or debriefing that day and just putting it down on paper? So that's a good question. A lot of it is the debrief. Yeah. I think if you, the debrief, you sort of maybe uh, learn a little bit more about what you got from that day. You can kind of um, take maybe a little bit more from it, maybe focuses you a little bit more on what you did do or didn't do or should do next time. You can get a different perspective. So it has value there. I tend to look back on um, occasionally on how well I was doing on certain trips, um, what was really pleasing for me on those trips. And, and one of the main ones is if um, if I'm injured, I look back and see what I was doing. It's like, hmm. okay, let's let's have a look, see, see what you were doing before that injury or, or, or a current injury. It's quite useful to look back on that. Hmm. But um, I don't go back and read like a storybook. It's, it's not like <laughs> it's not it's not like that. But it, it is sometimes just interesting. Um, I've read I've reread the the journey to to Rain Man a few times, and mm. that because I, obviously I, that that is like a book because I'd get back from the crag and I'd write like you know like two hundred words, three hundred words, maybe maybe more, five hundred words on on each day, and and that is quite interesting to see what sort of state of mind I was in and what motivations I was drawing and what strengths and weaknesses you know there's much more in depth there but if it just says really good day at the crag today not feeling very strong but had lots of fun slight tweak on my my right ring finger need to do more pull-ups then that's not that interesting (laughs) (laughs) oh that is I don't know that is pretty interesting I reckon you could take the journey to rain man and turn that into a little ebook and I would buy it (laughs) well very cool steve i mean we're getting towards that two hour mark i just have one more question and and this is one i ask everybody what is something that you've been especially grateful for lately so that is a really good question and it's a really quite a beautiful question and i think you've done a very good job to ask that question it's it's something which not many people ask of themselves and the fact that you've asked all of your guests that i think people will have maybe just taken the time to maybe think oh actually yeah what am i grateful for because we tend to go through life and maybe we don't think about that maybe we think about stuff that isn't so good and get a bit down about it and but there's a lot of stuff that we should be grateful for and in these times you know right now with with the you know the virus going along and people's lives being turned upside down and obviously some people's lives have been totally turned upside down and, and life is is not good for them at all for a lot of people we've been impacted and maybe there's some things which are bad and and not quite as good but actually do you know what for a lot of us there's a lot of stuff which we can be really quite grateful for and I did give that a bit of thought, and I'm going to be almost greedy with my answer for this because <laughs> off the back of you asking that to your guests, not that you asked it to me and not because I expected you to ask that, but I went away and thought about it and gave it a bit of thought. And it was like, wow, there's some really cool stuff that I need to be really grateful for. And a few things. So one of them is going back to the fact that I live in Sheffield and maybe I'd started to take it for granted a bit, and I've been here like 30 years now, 
started to lose that uh, that sparkle. But especially during COVID, it's flipping great here. It's been so good. Even when we weren't allowed to drive anywhere or really go anywhere, to be able to jump onto my bike and within half an hour be right out there, wild open spaces, feel that fresh air and, and the wind on my face and nobody be around. It's just it's just priceless. So I, I feel incredibly grateful for where I live now. It's, it's just brilliant. Uh, secondly, I feel really grateful for having the involvement with some of the brands that I work with, particularly Petzl and Marmot. They sort of upped their game a bit in the last year. They, they changed the way we were doing things. So we, did, we had lots of team meetings online and we were making little videos and um, advertorials in magazines and I had quite a, a hand in that. And it was really good, not, not really more than the fact that I felt valued. Hmm. You know, I, was, I was actually contributing to the world in some way. And that was really good. You know, I felt as though I had so, something to actually to do, which was a, a value. Uh, you know, just just going cycling for myself is is great, but it's not it's not doing anything for anybody else. It's just for my own benefit. Hmm. Uh, but also another thing which is really obvious for maybe a lot of people in, in these times is there's people like stuck in their buildings by themselves for weeks on end, and that is hardcore. And having my my family unit partner and two kids. Just it was just great, you know. We could really help each other out, and to to be that solid unit was absolutely mega. So I think an appreciation for that family unit has been it's really brought home over the over the last year, and and made me feel super grateful. So, in in a word, yeah, I've got a lot to be grateful for. Well, Steve, that's just an incredible answer and, and really speaks to your character that you gave that question that much thought of all the, of all the questions that I sent you in that email. Um, yeah, that really speaks to your, your character. Steve, I so appreciate this time. It's been really fun to chat with you. And, uh, and like I said, I've, I mean, I loved your book. I've followed you for much longer than, than that, your career. And, it's it's it really just is so uniquely inspiring to read about what you've done to um, watch that video of you doing Rain Man and think that it, it helps me believe that you know I might be able to climb my hardest route 15 years from now and that gives me so much time and just so much energy and excitement for what's to come and it just feels like a really positive and inspiring thing. So yeah, man, thanks I mean, so you, much. You, you've definitely got. I mean, I, I, you know, I know a little bit about your climbing and. and you, you've obviously been super motivated and you, you've got a lot on your plate as well. There's no reason why you can't just like keep on progressing and, you know, taking little bits from here, little bits from there. <laughs> I reckon just do it is, is on the cards for you and it's a flipping good route, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it it's is. A really, it is. It's, it's one to go for. Mm. I, I've not done it. Oh, Actually, really? Okay. Fro I froze my fingertips on it. Like properly froze my fingertips on it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't touch anything for three days, like at all. It was like some sort of frost nip. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried it. It was about minus. It was about minus twelve degrees centigrade, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> and um, I tried to do it. I got through that bottom hard bottom section. Yeah. And um, I was at the at the rest before it 
at the top section and I just could not feel my fingers. And I rested there for maybe a quarter of an hour and I realised that I just, my hands were just frozen. <laughs> I couldn't move them. <laughs> so I, I got like five moves further up and then fell off and came down and realised that I, I literally couldn't move my fingers. And it stayed that way for about three days. Couldn't climb anything. After that, the trip was over. I couldn't even pull oh, my socks man. on in the morning. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so watch out for that. Watch out for frozen fingers. Oh, that's fascinating. I hadn't heard that story. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you kind of still have a legendary status at, at Smith Rock for your uh, your onside attempt of to bolt or not to be. I think you're still probably the closest to onsiding that route. Oh, God, that was, that was... I don't usually get frustrated, but that was... That was actually, do you know what? It wasn't even that frustrating at the time because I had no concept of the, the fact that I could have onsighted that. Mm. I just set off trying and, and I kind of flopped off right at the start because I just didn't, I wasn't trying hard enough. I actually tried way harder having fallen off and doing a completely sort of pointless from hanging on the first bolt to the top. You know, it meant nothing. I would have been better coming back to the ground than obviously I'd have been on red point straight away, having done only about six moves. But yeah, I tried really hard, topped it, and then it was like, oh mate, like you could have totally unsighted this. Like, why did you? Why didn't you try? But it's only almost. Well, obviously not now. I'm not so bothered. But it was a few years later. It was like, wow, man, that's that is quite frustrating. Like. It was it was there for you on a plate. And, uh, you, know, you, could, you could have done it, but I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's, yeah. you know these these things you you take experience from them, and it's important not to draw negative stuff. Mm. And the, the positive side from that was like, hey, wow, like I was pretty damn close to on sighting this this legendary route at at a pretty hard grade. So what does that mean? It means yeah, it means. Stuff is good. Keep, keep on, keep on cranking. It doesn't mean like, oh man, what a downer. It means, wait, it's good. <laughs> Amazing, Steve. Again, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a, a blast, and I'd love to do it again. I actually had quite a few more bullet points and, and stories that I, I knew we wouldn't have time for, but I just threw them hey. on this list and. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, there's there's a lot more to uh, dive into, and I'd love to continue to to hear about what you do from here. And anytime, anytime. I mean, ch- chatting is. I don't mind chatting and chatting with you, chatting with you, or chatting with anybody. It's one of the I, one of the really good things about uh, rock climbing is that everybody's very much on the same page. Mm. And you know, I could be sitting here asking you questions now about your climbing. And it'd be just <laughs> just as interesting to me and I'd get motivated by it and it and it's kind of equal. You know, we could be talking to some some guy who's climbing five eleven and it might be super inspiring and super interesting. And that's what makes climbing, I think, quite a, a unique sport in that everybody's really doing their stuff at a, at an equal level. It might not be an equal level in terms of grades, but it's an equal level in terms of what they put in and what they get out. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It doesn't have to be 5.15. It doesn't really make any difference. It's a it's a great route in a great place with great people. That's, that's all you really need. <laughs> you know, I wasn't planning to share this, but I, I just recently heard this from a friend of mine and he's really strong. He climbs like 14B now and he's done quite a few of them, but... 
Uh, he recently said, you know, I don't think I have any more fun doing this now than when I was climbing 13A. I mean, it was it's very fun and it was very fun then. But when 13A was my limit, you know, n- now feels kind of the same. It's just the next challenge, the next route I want to do, the same process of ups and downs and frustration and motivation and excitement and yeah, it, it is It is really fascinating how the grade scale and all these different climbs kind of level the playing field as far as our experience of the sport. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, not, not wanting to keep on waffling, but I mean, that, that's very true. But, but just from what the guy was saying there, not thinking it's any more fun, he, he is right. Potentially, it's, it's a bit different. Um, you, you might be doing it for different things. And I think that that keeps it being fun. You know, you might be climbing harder, but you might be getting different things out of it. You might start training when you weren't training before, or you might go on with these crazy multi-year journeys where you, you're experiencing it from a different angle. Uh, you might be going to new places, doing different style, big walls or whatever. Or you might be having an amazing day out with your with your kids, climbing some five, four or whatever grade it might be, just up in the mountains with amazing views. You know, the fun level just keeps on getting better, really. It doesn't have to be harder. <laughs> Where can people find you now, Steve? I know you're on Instagram. I'll be sure to link to that. Um, are you still active on your website? Where, where can people follow you and see what you're up to? I've been a bit lazy on my website, really. Uh, I need, it's, been, it's on the um, list of things to update. Um, I mean, God, of all the times I should have been doing that, the last year I've had loads of time to do it. <laughs> but I've been slack, so... Uh, yeah, steve-mcclure.com is my website. Um, Instagram, you know where that is. Um, yeah, that's my main outlet. I mean, to be fair, I'm not a a big, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not down with the kids, as they say. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Instagramming all the time. I'm not putting stuff out there. I, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm in my own little bubble. And I mean, Instagram is a funny thing, really. I, I see it as a a tool to share information and you know to tell my my friends about stuff that I've been doing it I almost don't see it as like a, a thing to the world hmm. you know yeah I'm back in the day when I, I might have had like a hundred followers that actually I knew all of them <laughs> then it, it, it totally it seemed normal for me to say hey guys I, I had a really good day out today at Stanage and I did this this problem I've been meaning to try and it felt very natural to to be talking like that to my my friends and they might say oh you know what problem was that how did you do that you know where did where did you put your left foot oh you know I put my left <laughs> foot high rather than low obviously it's expanded now but I still talk to it in the same way, if that makes any sense. It does. I've seen that and I, I really appreciate it because it's a really authentic, just pure, really fun glimpse through a window into your world. You know, it's like, oh, this is the bike ride that he went on today. And here's the the beautiful view that he paused to to take a snapshot yeah. of. And yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's really fun yeah. to see that. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad there's one person likes it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's all that counts. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Steve. I, th- I think um, I think it's time for me to let you get to cooking dinner. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave people with? I mean, we've you've shared so much great insight in this conversation. I don't want to put you on the spot with anything else, but is there anything else on your mind, or should we call that a close and, and save it for um, next time? 
Well, I mean, if there's if there's any if you've got any burning questions that you you had, then obviously fire away. I'm I'm not that pressed for time, so you can fire them in and edit out this bit of waffle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you got anything that you were meaning to ask there that you missed out on? Mm. Mostly, it was uh, pulling on the threads of stories that are probably longer. Um, you know, one right. thing one thing I had on my list maybe for next time was uh, Pembroke hearing that story of uh, falling oh, in the right. ocean. Falling in the ocean. I mean, that's uh, so that okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, okay. Let's let's go down. Let's go down with that one. That was <laughs> okay. So that's that Pembroke issue was. I mean, that's that was a big it was a big deal for me. It probably shaped my entire climbing from there. Actually, without really realizing it, if I was to sort of think about how it panned out, because it was it was a bad accident. There's two parts to the the Pembroke story. The the first part was that I took a nasty fall, which should have been way, way more nasty, to be honest. I completely fluked it in that I I took a massive fall, like 80 feet down a cliff, free fall down a cliff, uh, due to a a belay mix-up. So I wasn't actually on belay. I snapped a hold off, flew straight down, landed on a ledge on my back, bounced off the ledge into a, a sea that was a huge swell, waves all over the place, a massive sea. No way should I have survived that. I was knocked unconscious, under the water for ages, somehow managed to get bashed against the cliff and left dangling above this crazy sea. Uh, managed to get myself out with a punctured lung and all, all kinds of other bits and bobs and spent a while in hospital. But because it had happened to me and because I got away with it, it didn't really seem to impact that much on my climbing. Uh, so that that was quite interesting. Maybe maybe it did, but it didn't feel like it. But then the following year, my friend took a fall and he he really bashed himself. He, he didn't fall so far, but he just landed bad. Hmm. Lands on his head and he broke quite a lot of bits, broke his skull. And it basically looked like he wasn't going to pull through. And to see that unfold right in front of your eyes in the short term, thinking he's not going to pull through, like, okay, so he's not alive, to thinking, oh, my God, he is he, actually alive, to then thinking he's alive, but he's not going to be alive much longer. You know, mm-hmm. his injuries are too severe. To then the next stage, like, he's in hospital, but the doctors are saying he's alive, but he's not going to pull through. To he's alive, but he's going to get brain damage. To eventually he's you know he's alive and he's he's going to make it and he's he's totally fine now he's a good friend of mine he lives in Sheffield I've been on many holidays with him and uh, yeah he's he's him and his family we we hang out regularly so that's that's great but that did affect my climbing after that because I just suddenly thought oh my god like human beings you know we can't take that much you know you don't have to do much and you just break so i found my level of risk taking was was definitely reduced after that i think my perception of being able to always get away with it was was somewhat changed because hmm. you kind of think that certainly when you're younger you, you just think you're going to get away with it you don't really have any concept of what happens if you don't get away with it because you don't you don't see yourself not getting away with it. <laughs> yeah. You do get away with it. And and suddenly it was like, all right, okay. So, you know, if you don't get away with it, stuff bad stuff can happen. 
So I, I kind of fell out with climbing for a while, which in retrospect was was really good because I traveled loads. I went to India, I went to Thailand, went to Nepal. Uh, I did loads of great stuff that wasn't climbing focused, which I probably wouldn't have done. I probably wouldn't do now either. You know, we're talking like years of hanging out in in India and places like that and just seeing stuff which was nothing to do with climbing at all. And it was great character building stuff. So I did a lot of that. And when I came back into climbing, I was drawn towards safer. And I guess sport climbing was something which was really, um, it, it's, it was something I was more excited by. The traditional side I just saw as potentially a, a bit risky. So I moved into sport climbing and then that that was it. As soon as I started off it, the ball just started rolling and I, 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 I went with it for quite a few years before coming back into traditional climbing. And now my 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 risk taking is relatively low in my traditional stuff, I guess. Um, but it, it opened the door for me to start sport climbing. Who knows, maybe if it hadn't been for those accidents, maybe I'd have just remained a traditional climber, maybe a mountain climber. Who knows? Um, you know, life unfolds in front of you and you never know quite where you're going to end up. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for sharing everything today. Great. No, it's been totally my pleasure. I I enjoy chatting to somebody like yourself. You've, you've got a lot of really good questions. Um, it's very easy to talk to you. And I think that can be seen with the other guys that you've chatted to. You know, you've got some some good questions and you've drawn a lot of really useful and motivating things out of people. So keep that up. Definitely keep it going. I know it's hard work, so, you know, fair play to you, man. It's, it's good. <laughs> well done. Well, thank you so much. I mean, luckily, it's also the the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. I really, <laughs> really enjoy it. And I don't think it's going to feel like work to keep it going. So I, keep I, it going. I really enjoy conversations like this. And yeah, again, um, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> good. Right. Good. Okay. Right. Look forward to it. Nice all one. Right. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Steve. Pleasure's all mine. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. All right. Cheers, man. Like we do it.